What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. This is just a reminder that you can go over to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain every Wednesday evening at around 8 o'clock, and you can listen to us live, and you can actually also donate to us if you'd like. It does help support the channel, keep things running. By the man who will have a proper introduction in a moment, that we did relabel last week's episode incorrectly. I forgot to update it. So my apologies. We did not watch Under Siege twice in a row. That's just torturous for certain people. We um, actually watched Natural Born Killers, and that was all my fault, just not updating it. This week, we are on officially on episode 113, and we are going to be talking about all new stuff. Brand spanking new movies, brand spanking new stuff that is fresh off the presses, ladies and gentlemen. But oh yeah, I have done the ramble beforehand. Now, let me introduce the true talent of the show, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? How are you? Thank you. Thank you. Um, fabulous. Fabulous. No, no, fabulous. No, no photos, please. Um, <laughs> I find it dandy um, as we uh, move into the end of the semester for those of us studying. And I, unsurprisingly and completely behind the eight ball, um, <laughs> which is, you know, <laughs> Isn't that um, the student way? It is. It is kind of a student way. Um, but yeah, one might have hoped one had learned something in the pre- in the ensuing twenty years. But you know, no, no. Here we here we are. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I, I take uh, issue here with your uh, talk of everything being fresh and new tonight, considering our chain <laughs> film this week is thirty years old. Don't say horrible things like that. It ages me, sir. It ages me. It is a little bit because I think I can regularly like remember when it came out, and you're like, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, it, it was. I, I recently reconnected with a friend on Facebook, um, Zoe. Hello, Zoe. If you ever see or hear this podcast, probably not because you probably have more important things to do in your life. But um, it was like, oh, when was the last time we saw? Holy shit! It was twenty years ago. I yeah. suddenly aged. I, I like like the the bad guy at the end of um, the, um, the Last Crusade. I just withered visually. It was not a good sign. <laughs> I um I, I recommended an album to someone this week. Actually, uh, it was a UMI record. If for those who are curious, the Australian rock band. And I'm like, I fell in love with this record once, very deeply. Mm. And then I realised that yeah, it was from 2001. It was a twenty-year-old record. I'm like, oh. <gasps> no, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit like it's about as old to people now as the Beatles were to me when I was, you know, a, a teenager. Yeah, yeah. One of the things of my job is, you know, you occasionally you have to do gift cards and things like that, and they have expiration dates, and ours have a three-year lifespan. I'm having to write the year 2024. And that's just the sci-fi date in a, in, a, in a novel or a movie where the world has been decimated, robots are kind of um, compacting trash. It's, it's not a legitimate date. I'm sorry. It's just weird. I, I would normally say, where is my jetpack? But um, <laughs> there, I actually saw some Royal Marines, British Royal Marines, using jetpacks to, to yeah. fly between ships and stuff the other day. So... Well, but, I guess they're working on it. Yeah, the problem with that is somewhere on that jetpack, it does have a little thing saying made in Great Britain, which means <laughs> it has a very short lifespan. 
I, I would not be so certain they were made in Great Britain. <laughs> Great Britain make things. They make jet engines in Great Britain. Well, not really anymore. We make no. beer. I am certain Rolls Royce's factories are still in the, in Great Britain. Yeah, they're they're not German at all. <laughs> they're in Britain though. They can't be German, can they? <laughs> I think they're owned by a German company now. I think. I, well, I think you're right. Rolls but, Royce isn't, but I don't know. <laughs> but you think you're betraying a, a different standard. Um, no one, no one in Australia has owned anything for a very long time. Um, <laughs> so I mean, like that's cars, the Western way. Cars in Geelong were made by Ford, and we consider them Australian-made because they were made here. Whether or not the company who owned them is from another company, country or not, we we can't get too picky about that. <laughs> now that is more than enough bullshit and shitter chatter for the start of the show i have not introduced the furry talent archimedes how are you my man i'm hungry give me food your fingers smell like chicken i want them good boy we are going to get on with the show ladies and gentlemen and as always we are going to start the show with our chain movie and this was my pick this week we are going on from last week's Natural Born Killers with Woody Harrelson to an uncredited role, even though he has a couple of lines. Yeah. The Steve Martin, I'm going to call it classic because it is, you know, quite fairly positively remembered. As, as Travis did comment last week, it was one of the last movies that he made before a bit of a slump. Um, this is L.A. Story. I would take issue with calling it a classic. I, I don't think it's in that category. But you just to start with something interesting, you were talking about the fact that um, Woody goes in for an uncredited role here. Mm. There are a lot of uncredited roles here. Yeah. And there's some pretty big names. Rick Moranis yeah. has an entire scene as a grave digger, which he's uncredited for. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Chase, who is still very famous in the early 90s. Yeah, he was. In an uncredited role. Paula Abdul, John Lithgow. Yeah, uh, and Robert Picardo, who probably wasn't that famous back then, but went on to become famous, and a little guy named Terry fucking Jones in uh, an uncredited role, uh, yeah. voice role. And you're like, yeah. this is a ridiculous amount of talent. Any film would be quite glad to have all of that, but like to not yeah. even credit them is quite quite insane. It's it's a weird one, I guess, because it's because the nature of L.A. story is it's kind of a satirical dissection of life in L.A. from a very mm. sardonic point of view. But at the same time, it's also kind of a love letter to L.A. in the same way, sort of like um, New York, I love you, Paris, I love you, those kinds of movies they have kind of that's become their own kind of genre of so like oh we're gonna pick a city and do little short stories about them just how much we love them and just life in these cities and things like that there's a little kind of nugget of that in this movie but it is definitely more of your typical narrative um kind of fair so um, i think this is a we should give him a synopsis because we always forget the mm. synopsis. You I'll give do it. it. It's, my, it's my movie. I'll read it. Yes. <laughs> you do so, um, with the help of a talking freeway billboard, a wacky weatherman tries to win the heart of an English newspaper reporter who is struggling to make sense of the strange world in early 1990s LA. That's pretty accurate as to what this movie is, and it sums it up pretty pretty uh pretty tightly for compared to some of the other 
Well, what was the other one for Minari last week? A family start a farm in Arkansas. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. Okay. Well, you're really reading my appetite there, IMDb. Full of details. Yes. And I think if you combine that, what that synopsis from IMDb with what you just said about it, um, mm. I think does give you a pretty good idea. As you sort of said, it's a, it mm. is very much a, a, a piss take on, on LA life in the mm. late 80s, mm. early 90s. I don't know, but I got the love story angle. I don't think it's as – I mean, I don't particularly love the New York, I love you, Paris, I love you film. I think mm. it's kind of it's kind of a circle jerk. Um, oh, aren't we big and rich and famous and we can afford to hang out in cool <laughs> places like Paris and New York? Yay! I just um, kind of want someone to do one of those as a parody thing, as like – like I love Geelong. <laughs> like there are that. so many reasons to love Geelong. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. <clears throat> uh, Geelong, I love you, and we can just you know, go drive around in moccasins and you know go to, <laughs> go to a football or something. They've got the National World Museum. Oh, um, I was there. I, I love you, Melbourne. I know what your in, uh, addition would be. It would be. The floral clock. The floral clock. And, of, of course, course, the big the big wheel where you can go on top and look over Melbourne's chemical hinterland. Uh, <laughs> we are selling the city we live in. I, I, I would like to note that I was at the official opening of the National War Museum of Geelong in 1988. Did um, you have a choice in that? I did not have a choice in that. But <laughs> Her Majesty was there on the opening day and she almost looked at us. Almost. See, it Almost. you can never actually tell because she's been replaced, and it's kind of like when you go into one of those old homes and they've got the portrait painting, the eyes follow you. That's basically just what happens with her. You kind of feel like, ah, oh, I think she might have looked at me, but she's not moving right now. She's been pickled in gin. It's fine. Uh, and that's <laughs> just a, we got a bit of a treat coming up for you a little later on from nine eighty eight people. So stay tuned for that one. Uh, that's a teaser. It's a teaser. So. Um, but so LA story, on track. Yes. LA story. I find I would not classify this as a classic because I find it infuriatingly inconsistent. Um, in okay. and its highs, mm. I enjoy, but mm. I don't think they are anywhere near his best work. Um, being things like The Jerk or Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, mm -hmm. um, just to name a couple. Um, yeah, I. It's maybe a different brand. As you sort of you sort of said earlier, it's a sardonic take. Yeah. Um, where he was maybe a little bit more slapsticky in some of his other bigger roles than with jerk and stuff were a little bit more physical comedy. Um yeah. Yeah. Jerry I'd Lewis ish. Yeah. Where this yeah. one's a little bit more dry, you know, tongue in cheek. Um, but at the same time, kind of uh, sketchy in parts. It's almost like they were comedy sketches throughout the film and the film will wildly veer between being a straight ahead romantic comedy mm. with some wacky characters so if, romantic comedies can go either way this one mm. would be a romantic comedy leaning on the comedy side yeah but it would go from a straight ahead romantic comedy into a, a wacky sketch yeah uh, without, like, like that like that you know in, in a moment's notice you'll swing from normal timeline to uh, sometimes very successful uh, comic sketches. Like I think one of my favourites is when they line up to get money from the ATM, and there's a lineup of there's a lineup of muggers on the other side of the ATM, and they get their money. I'll be out your mugger they, today. I, I, I'm Bob. I'll be your your mugger tonight or your robber tonight. 
um, and that kind of thing. So that those sort of gags sometimes work. But then there's the gag at the start where we're driving down the freeway. And he's like, oh, my God, it's spring. And they, where's my gun? And, they start, and I'm like, uh, I guess there's some sort of commentary about L.A. traffic here. Yeah. But- in in some, in some regards, the way that it just so violently swings like that particular scenario, it, it almost kind of feels a bit Monty Python. A little bit. You can see that. But, it, it, but Python never went straight ahead as hard. Yeah. And it's 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 a weirdly paced movie, um, but I think that's kind of intentional for. And I think that this is a, a really, really articulate, overly intelligent look at life in LA, and it's basically one big inside joke for anyone who lives and works in LA. And I feel like anyone who has visited will get a little bit of it um but anyone who has not really experienced la is just going to be okay i think that's supposed to be funny i i kind of get that like they're they're all sitting at this lovely restaurant and they're all talking and like the 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 um they're all kind of rating everything and then the the earthquake starts and so like oh what would you what would what do you reckon that is and they just start rating it and the just conversation just keeps going it's like okay LA's on a fault line. All right, I get the purpose of the joke, and they've been so desensitized to it. And again, that that theme of being desensitized from these other world, otherwise highly unusual scenarios, is just commonplace in LA. Earthquakes, being mugged, <laughs> violence on the roadways, that sort of stuff is like okay. This all seems to be inside jokes on LA. I, I picked that up. I mean, even mm. if you, I think you get a lot of jokes, even if mm. you haven't been to LA, simply because of the reputation the city has of yeah. being, you know, full of rich people, you know, the idle rich, you know, um, mm. we, you know as Stephen, that awful Stephen Fry film we watched a few weeks ago might have described them as. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, one, one of the scenes I enjoyed most is, the, is in that same restaurant scene. Though, again, I was in LA once and there was a bit mm. of an earthquake. No, it was mm. in San Francisco, sorry, not LA. Mm. And it was a bit of an earthquake. And Patria and I, a friend of the show, Patria and I, mm. and I had a look at each other and gone, did we get vibrating beds by mistake in here? Like, <laughs> oh, no, it's uh, like, I've never seen one of those, by the way, but apparently they exist. Um, I've stayed in a place with one. It's weird. Um, but it was an earthquake and a little, little, little one, little tremor. Yeah. Um, and I, we were talking about Uber driver about the next day. And we're like, oh, was there a tremor last night? He's like, Ah, I didn't notice. You like, you like, I could, I could, like, it was a four or something under. Rick- oh, four. Well, I wouldn't. No, I don't get out of bed for a four. You get out. I don't get out of the chair, but for less than a five, you know, like, and so like, it's that's definitely accurate. But the 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 scene in the same in the restaurant where it's like, you know, I'll have a decaf, I'll have a decaf, double decaf cappuccino. Do you have decaffeinated coffee, ice cream? I'll have a double decaf with a twist of lemon. I'll have a twist of lemon. I'll have a twist of lemon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, it, it's almost like a weird narrative telephone kind of thing. It, it just ends up changing, and they're just like, "Oh yeah, I'll have the idea of lemon juice, thank you." <laughs> and, and I do very much enjoy. I'll give kudos in that scene where I love how that scene shot. Mm. That camera mm. swirling around the table, like re- in that really kinetic way. Like, I mean, it's a beautifully shot scene, and I, I know it's weird to say that about a thirty-year-old comedy film. Um, but I just love how that that, re- that shot is just sort of 
it's really nicely done. I don't, I don't think the rest of the film is particularly interestingly shot. Just that scene stood out to me. Yeah, this this is this. I don't really feel like there's any particular director panache on this movie in any way, shape, or form. This is a character, a character movie, and a weird parody variation of LA as a character movie. It's not about so like, oh yes, this is a Chris Nolan movie and you're going to expect this or that. This is not a Quentin Tarantino movie. This the director is Mick Jackson, who's not someone who's got a yeah. lot of we're talking the bodyguard, Volcano, Volcano. Um, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Uh, and like, fair cop, I mean I just had a quick look through his INDB and he's not really delve too much in comedy he's done a lot of tv he's done a couple of things with kind of comedy elements to them but you know when you're getting into a movie in the early 1990s with steve martin it's like okay that's it's a gonna very, be a different kind of thing it's a very interesting choice because i believe he is british uh hmm. yes because he did direct a film in the mid-80s, which I think was banned in Britain, called Threads. Do you, have you ever come across Threads? I've heard of it. It was a TV um, movie about what might happen in the, in the event of a nuclear war in Great Britain. Um, now, do not quote me on this, but I think for a long time, part of it was uh, it was either banned or part of it was banned. Oh, or, yeah. Um, but um, don't quote me on that. I could be thinking of something else. But uh, it is a very effective um, little little um, little film about um, you know would, how horrible if we didn't already know mm. um, how horrible nuclear war would be. Um, but I did not realize that Mark Mick Jackson directed because I've actually watched it a couple of times. I think it's on YouTube if you're interested. Um, but it's you look at that and you go, okay, he made a almost documentary esque um horrific you know story about the disaster film really about mm. about a nuclear attack and he did some tv after that he did a movie called chattahoochee which i've never heard of and then he lands one of the biggest stars in the world in yeah. a sardonic python-esque comedy about los angeles and you're like yeah huh, okay that's um it's an interesting, it's an interesting choice. It's it's a it's a weird choice. You kind of wonder how he, you know, you're gonna wonder how he ended up there. Like maybe he, like, did he meet Steve Martin, or did Martin just really like Threads or something? Um, maybe. It, yeah, and then I, the next year he directs The Bodyguard, which was is, one of the biggest is, movies of the year and of a decade. has a lasting le legacy. Yeah. Uh, and again, that's very different. Again, I mean, obviously, I don't recall. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know if this film did particularly well, LA Story, but um, it's yeah, certainly not as fondly remembered as a lot of Martin's other work. No, it's it's definitely an outlier for for Steve Martin. People would generally go to like what you referred to before, so like um, uh, the Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and Jerk, certainly being his big ones. There's small community that people of people who love Roxanne and his cameo in little shop of horrors is fucking amazing um and then there's even people who really like his father of the bride movies for they were very successful his, yeah they were very successful so it's it, it's just a weird mash of stuff happening so there's a lot film, to love film grossed but, 
28 million dollars in the US. To give That's... context, the that would put it in 49th place that year, the 49th biggest gross in the US. Does not have a figure the international mm. box office. So mm. very US centric film, so maybe we feel like it didn't do so well, but that's not overly successful. Mm. That's less than Madonna Truth and Dare. Truth or Dare. Yeah. It's less than Double Impact. Less than King oh. Ralph. Oh, King Ralph had a moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, it's. I would have to say that this is a potentially an unsuccessful film at the box office in that sense. Mm. Yeah. But I, this, this is the first time that I've ever watched this and I actually really enjoyed it. I really liked the the dissection of society that was going on here um and it was fun steve martin is can be a wickedly smart writer and he has in the past and not as frequently in his more recent stuff but he has been able to really kind of laser in on certain elements and just pull out some great comedy and um use comedy as a weapon to to dissect some some bits um, I've just really enjoyed the way that he did that. I loved um, Richard E. Grant in this as well. I thought that he was, especially for where Richard was in his career at that point, like 1991. Let's quickly go back. It's to be working. Withnell and I would have been late 80s, wouldn't it? 87. Yeah. So four so years this after Withnell and I. Yeah, this was the same year as another movie that we've done in our chain movies of Hudson Hawk. Um, That's not me. He was war. in, oh, 1989, he was in Warlock, which is an underrated old school classic. He had done How to Get Ahead in Advertising, which is fucking fantastic. Anyone who hasn't seen it should should check it out because it is fucking weird. With Nail and I was 1987. Um, so this was really his first kind of true big brand movie in Hollywood, I guess, because Steve Martin was a legitimate star and him being put in that and then the same year also being in a movie with Bruce Willis. Which wow. was predicted, of course, where it didn't turn out that way, but it was predicted mm. to be a big, um, a big, uh, big hit, right? Like it was, mm. they didn't, they didn't sink all that money in it for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of and course, we, the next... we both talk fondly about it. I think people missed the point. I think it was just mm. weird that they spent all that money on something that looked like that. Yeah. Um, and of course, the next year he was in um, Bram Stoker's Dracula and yeah. in the Age of Innocence, and he was yeah. often to the races. Um, yeah. And and I, I love Richard Grant. Um, yeah. I also call out that um, Sarah Jessica Parker was surprisingly effective in this film. Yeah. Um, the um, the IMDb trivia says she stated this movie changed her career. Up mm -hmm. to this point, she'd always played mousy girls of her best friend. She said mm -hmm. that no one in Hollywood thought of her as sexy once she was cast as well. Several new doors opened for her. Um, and, I mean, she kind of has a reputation now. I mean, she's kind of best known for, obviously, Sex and the City. Harry, yeah. Um, which has kind of become her character, right? I don't think she does anything else now except for yeah. You probably live off that forever if you really wanted to. Yeah. Um, but, you know, before this... She was in. Um, I, I watched her, one of her movies on um, on my other podcast, podcast, the Throwback, available oh, now God, on Spotify. Um, but we watched uh, we watched Girls Just Want to Have Fun, 
1985 starring Sarah Jessica Parker, um, which wasn't as bad as you might have thought it was, but mm-hmm. she was in Flight of a Navigator as well. But yeah, not whole, she was. Um, but yeah, that was again not really a, a, that kind of role, but probably by mm-hmm. 91, she probably wanted to start stepping into those sort of more mature roles. Yeah. Um, and not that she did anything particularly big after this. I mean, she did Honeymoon in Vegas, Hocus Pocus, Striking Distance, Ed she Wood, which, Ed we, Wood. Yeah. which we, I think we reviewed earlier in the, uh, um, well, earlier in the chain. A couple chain. of weeks ago. Yeah. I heard a couple of weeks. It was last year, I think. Um, yeah. I don't know. But yeah. We did, we did Ed Wood. But yeah. So, but she's actually really funny in this. Like, she can do comedy. Like, you know, she yeah. plays uh, the character of Sandy. Uh, and just having her spell her name was absolutely brilliant. You know, it was like, you know, big S, low A, little N, big D, little E, big E, you know, whatever it is. And you're like, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. He's like, you know, I, I don't think we should make love. Okay, fine, fine. We'll just have sex. Yeah. Um, and the fact that she's always moving. Yeah. Always moving. She really captures the... A, a young person just living life in LA so perfectly. And it's like, okay, this is great. And I, I feel like she just gave the right amount of constant physical energy and movement to kind of put Steve Martin permanently on edge. Cause, cause we talked about it before he's been up until this point, really, he was very, a very physical actor and very physical comedian. And he's starting to get a little older here. He's like, he's showing a bit more age. And then seeing this young perky constantly just like arms and spinning and just doing everything all the time. It's like, this is really, really cleverly done. I really enjoy this. This is it's great. Interesting she, she takes up a physical comedy, really, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you can see why she went on to be a big star because she is mm. watchable. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. In addition to being kind of sexy in in a nineties kind of way, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> some of the and, and uh, just to, to, to echo you, Richard mm. Grant, fucking brilliant. Mm-hmm. Love everything he does. I, I think I mentioned it last week. My favorite scene in the entire film is the uh, painting interpretation scene at the gallery. So good. It's like I can just see the curve of a breast. Yeah. When I see a <laughs> painting like this, it makes me emotionally erect. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a big blancmange of like red smudge on this. Like, look at the people behind, keep peeking from behind the door, like they've never seen anything like this. You know, like um, it's, it's so wonderful. It's really, really fantastic. That scene in particular, I enjoy. Uh, there are some. Oh, so one other highlight before I get it a little bit negative on this. Yeah, yeah. How good is Patrick Stewart as the Oh, my day. God. He, that, that whole scenario of having to go to the You bank. can have the chicken. Yes. It's so good. So it just is to be so clear, good. Steve um, uh, Martin is trying to impress um, Sarah Jessica Parker, his mm-hmm. character, take her out for dinner to an expensive restaurant. Um, sort of think Dorcia, you know, um, yeah. from um, American Psycho. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and it's uh, Le Idiot is the name of a restaurant. And he tries to make a reservation, uh, and they laugh at him when he tries to make a reservation for Friday. When he suddenly says Sunday or something, he actually yeah. has to like visit, uh, have a meeting with the chef and the maitre d at the bank with the bank manager to Go prove he can afford it. Um, <laughs> to actually, he can afford to actually eat there, and they're, they're actually um, vetting his dinner choice. What would you like to order? I think I would order a duck. Mm, 
you can have a chicken. Um, what, <laughs> but what, what if the girl I'm with wants, wants to order something else? You suggest the duck. You suggest the chicken. It's <laughs> <laughs> like you can eat. So that whole scene, again, that's um, one of those weird um, sketches we were talking about where yeah. it's a fairly normal scene. He's calling you a restaurant. The gag is that he can't get any reservation on a Friday. He's not as famous as he thinks he is. Mm. You know, uh, that's kind of funny. But then it takes this sideways step into um, – you know, this, this scene with him having a, a a meeting at the bank with the maitre d' and the chef, and it's actually it's one of the scenes that's the little sketches that it is very funny. Yeah. But, it's, again, it's a grating, screeching left turn from what it normally does, but it yeah. works beautifully on this occasion. So yeah. um, I, I'll pay it. And Patrick Stewart as a snooty waiter mm. um, just goes to show we haven't seen him do a lot of comedy. Not much, no. I mean, it, kind of this little kind of cameo that he does here it's kind of the biggest comedy thing that i've really i instantly think of him doing that isn't his episode where he's in uh Ricky Gervais extras which is the funniest thing you've ever seen like of course their clothes just fall off of course. <laughs> and i've, I've seen, seen everything, everything. <laughs> <laughs> honestly if you have not seen patrick stewart just go to youtube patrick stewart extras mm -hmm. enjoy you can thank us later even if you don't like ricky gervais because i'm pretty sure yeah. you don't like ricky gervais very much not a fan not um a fan. but but that ricky's just really sitting there trying not to laugh yeah fact, i think the bloopers where ricky's not which ricky can't help but laugh yeah. is actually <laughs> probably every bit as funny as the actual sketch in the end but mm. um the one of the weak points of his film for me yeah. is very much victoria Tennant's role as sarah the love interest of, of Steve Martin's Harris. They were married at the time, which is interesting. I did not know that. Mm, okay. But she is a complete wet blanket of a character. Like, uh, the only funny thing about her is she consi consistently drives on the left-hand side of a road, which yep. doesn't look very funny to us because that's, of course, the correct side of a road to drive on. <laughs> but everywhere else in the world... That is He's wrong, point. correct. Everywhere else in the world is incorrect and drives on the wrong side of the road. But that's as fun. I found her, she's not sexy. She's not very funny. She's not very cool. I don't know. I just found her kind of like a really meh, wet blanket of a character. And I just never really fully understood why, why Steve Martin was so in love with her. I kind of feel like, like she epitomized what I imagine that... I'm pretty sure this this came up before it, but like Hugh Grant's character from Four Weddings and a Funeral, but gender bent, and then instead of being in England, being in America in this weird location. That's kind of the vibe that I got from her. That's a good description. I can see that, but that that doesn't work in this film. It doesn't work in the film, no. And there's there's not enough of her to really bring it in. Like the fact that you know, when he's in the car with her and she's on the wrong side of the road and he's like, get on the right, get on the right. And she just says, oh, I don't think he can hear you and keeps driving on the <laughs> wrong side of the road. That's great. And the fact that when he goes to pick her up, she, you hear her playing um, the instrument and then she doesn't finish. It, it's, it's one of those famous little, little ditties and she doesn't finish the last two notes and she just has a lot of just, one second. I've just got to powder my nose. And then you just hear, and then it comes back it's like that's funny show me a bit more of that there's there's a it feels like there's a little bit too much time spent on steve martin's character and not quite enough on her to warrant this 
this romance story that's supposed to be the we center needed, of the story. I, I needed to believe it more. Um, mm. Like, I'm sorry, it's completely left center, but what another film from 1991? I'm mm. thinking of Wayne's World. Um, and I'm thinking of Tia Kariri's character in that film, yeah. and the way that they shot and they 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 portrayed um, Cassandra. That's her character's name in that yeah, film. Yeah, and like you know exactly why Wayne's obsessed with her. She's, I mean, obviously in that kind of world, she's super hot, sexy woman who plays in a heavy metal band. And I'm like, yeah. you know, who's, and a badass <laughs> whose kung pulse fu. would not be racing for that. And like, what? And that is exactly the kind of woman that Wayne. Mm. Would be, I mean, obviously, we're talking a ridiculous comedy film here, but that character, yeah, would have Wayne would be interested in a sexy heavy metal singer who can kung fu fight, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> it, it it makes sense, like it just works a bit. Like, yeah. so, and I'm not saying like a Cassandra style character would work here because that would make no mm. sense with in in the setting of a film. But those two characters, you go, yeah, I and I, I never questioned why Wayne would be interested in Cassandra, but this one, you go, huh? She's yeah. she's kind of blank and not. Yeah, I don't I don't buy the romance. I don't understand why he what he sees in her, and so that that's a weak at a flat spot for me. And considering that film kind of revolves around that relationship and yeah. the forbidden nature of it, yeah. And and the same thing. Like Richard Grant's success with success with getting back together with her is playing her ex husband in this film. You're like again, I'm like I don't really get it. I can, I can kind of see it a little bit because particularly at this point in time, everyone was particularly the British and it was in a lot of media of Charles and Diana and how the difficulties and where they keep working through it. They've separated, but they're still, still doing things together. They're still co-parenting the, the princes and all of that shit. That kind of mania does sort of feed into their relationship, particularly Richard, where he's kind of going, oh, yes, but, um, you know, <laughs> divorce isn't kind of the end of the relationship in England. <laughs> yeah. like something along those lines. It's like, I get that as a British person, but that's a, that's a very, very narrow cut on a very unusual meat. slice of meat. <laughs> the other weird thing about this film, and this isn't I'm going to cut, not necessarily going to chuck this in the, in the negative category, just a... Okay, that's a bit odd. Is the severe, well, which severe makes it sound bad, the very strong Shakespearean influence on this film. Shakespeare is littered throughout the film. References, mm. quotes. Um, the, the, the scene of Rick Moranis as the gravedigger, as yeah. I understand it, is lifted completely from Hamlet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, there's, you know, there's a... Uh, 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 Shakespeare's uh, grave. Shakespeare's grave, like you know, um, because uh, why is that in an I I don't know. Um, you know, but it's the same reason. Like, why the hell is there an Elvis grave at the Melbourne grave? It's a memorial. Think? It's not the same thing. <laughs> it's, it's it's that that thing of like L.A. is young. It's a young city, and it's just like one of those things that's like, oh yeah, we need to kind of bring in like third party history to give ourselves modern day relevance. I'm pretty sure there isn't a grave to Shakespeare there. But, <laughs> but there was just a quote in there it was like it's a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, you know, um signifying nothing. And there was a, the one the one point the talking billboards has a quote that says, you know, there are greater things in heaven and earth than you can, you know, uh, than you can imagine. I I don't forget the exact quote. That's um like nice. Yeah, yeah. Who's that? Uh uh What's his name? Fitzgerald. Uh, oh, I can't remember. It's not Shakespeare, but yeah, it's one of one of the other 
famous writers. Um, uh, my Shakespeare. There's only like six famous writers. No, no, it is Shakespeare. It is Shakespeare. It's from Hamlet. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than dreamt of in oh, your philosophy. Oh, yes, that's right. Um, that's the quote I'm referencing. I'm pretty sure it was on the billboard. It may not have been exactly yeah. that, but mm. he was paraphrasing that. So um, I am not conversant enough in Shakespeare. And my mm. Shakespeare loving friends who might be listening, you know who you are, um, will be sitting there going mm. and marking me down. In the, uh, you know, uh, like the uh, West the East German judge are giving me a 4.5 <laughs> um, for not. But I bet there's the more proof. stuff in here. There's more references in here than I'm, I'm, I'm missing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's a quote from Hamlet, apparently. There's more, more things in heaven and earth, Harry, than are dreamt of mm, your philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and I, as I said, so like it doesn't really, I mean, unless. I would love someone to tell me I'm wrong, but the underlying story is based on a midnight night's dream or something like that. Um, a little bit like saying, you know, 10 Things I Hate About You was based on Taming the Shrew. Yeah. Clueless was very loosely based on Emma, uh, which is a Jane Austen novel. I know not Shakespeare, but, you know, uh, classic literature. Um, but, you know, maybe this is based on some Shakespeare play. I don't know. I haven't put the pieces together. But they just didn't seem to fit. Like, I didn't quite sure why they were there. And they yeah. really stood out to me because, like, I know that that's a Shakespeare quote, and I don't know much about Shakespeare. But I knew the Hamlet thing was a grave digger, and I'm like, why are you doing this? It it very much speaks to the big problem of this this whole movie, which is it is it's a Frankenstein's monster of a movie where just bits are put in, and when you look at them isolated, it's like, yeah, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. But then when you kind of step back and look at the whole thing it's like i'm feeling a lot of everything at the moment because i've just gone from monty python to clever parody to shakespeare to to uh, kind of lackadaisical rom-com to i don't know where this is supposed to be taking me and even the end after everything that happens and the movie finishes, you kind of feel so like, okay. And that didn't, didn't it, really it, resolve anything, did it? Yeah, it, well, it, you, they they got together, but it's this it's kind of really the start of their relationship. And it's like, okay, you're leaving just as things are gonna get interesting. Fair enough. That's that's your choice. Okay. It's kind of like we're going to throw everything at the wall and see what yeah. sticks. Um, and, you know, it, you need to be exceedingly good to pull that off. Like, yeah. I think it's fair to say that that's kind of go back to Monty Python again. Like, if you look at, you know, The Life of Brian or, you know, the, the, the better films that they made, mm. um, they're throwing everything at the screen. Do not be – there's no – you can't say mm. that they're not. The thing is that you can get away with it when, when you throw everything at the screen – and mm. still 90, 95% of your gags land. That's actually a good, it's kind of like watching the meaning of life. Monty Python's meaning of life. It's, it's basically a sketch show that that movie is like, okay, there's bits here, but there's, there's no fluid story. Or well, the fluid like story is weak, isn't it? Yeah. And Compared it, to the life of Brian or Holy Grail. Holy Grail, yeah. So coming off of those two and then doing that, so like, okay, that's that's a that's a, a I that's not what I was expecting from these guys, and this is not what you 
kind of been groomed to expect from Steve, a Steve Martin film and not what you're groomed to expect from a comedy in the late 80s, early 90s either. They were a lot more... Broad. Yeah. And you this, know what this kind is... of reminds me of now when I think mm. of it? Mm. It's a cable guy. Because if you think about it, like, people walk, we need to, we walk in and mm. paid their money for the cable guy. Mm. What do we expect? We expected a Jim Carrey movie. We did not get a Jim Carrey movie. No. Um, it was kind of a comedy, but it was kind it was of a few other dark. things. Dark yeah. comedy. It was like a scare, like, not exactly the same genres or anything, but no. in a sense, it was a film that very much subverted your expectations. Yeah. But probably yeah. not in a way that people wanted to subvert it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, 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 it's a very, very brave and very intelligent production company that pulls off subversion of expectations. So often people, especially in the modern day where we look at, like we have said it ad nauseum, that Marvel make very, very boring, safe trailers and they are not trying to subvert expectations or anything like that. And you get into the movie and you know exactly what you're getting in for. That's 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 exactly the, the, the safe barrier. You don't suddenly get this weird trailer that just kind of goes off in this unusual figure. So like from the same studio that bought you um, Ang Lee's Hulk, <laughs> there's, there's no weird kind of we're going to deviate off this way just so that we can fucking confuse everyone when they actually get through the door. It's 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 a weird environment and it so rarely happens that someone goes in and just goes oh the a, a more recent example of this is um the, the awesome movie colossus with anne hathaway that's the trailer for that it's like okay this is kind of a comedy and then you watch it and it's like oh no it's there, there's funny elements to it but this is not a comedy it's very speaking again it's a very dark film yeah yeah and that was done very well but it did not do particularly well at the box office because people were not expecting what they thought when they go into it similarly with donnie darko one of my favorite ones to reference is like the trailer for that movie it sold like a fucking slasher movie it's like no maybe you could have sold this as a weird superhero movie but even then, that's that's not what Donnie Darko is. It's it's a it's a very very brave move to do, and there's very very few chances of success. I don't know that this was actually intentional. I just think this is what they wanted to do, and it turned out to be yeah. this weird blamange of a film, which I'm not saying I didn't enjoy. It's certainly not unpleasant to spend a couple of hours um, mm. with LA story. It's um, I like I'd seen it before. Mm. Uh, and I, so I knew what to expect. So I, I'm actually a little bit jealous of you because you mm. got to enjoy the painting scene and uh, so many of these other sketches. Mm. I'll be your I'm Bob. I'll be your Robert tonight. Um, <laughs> gags for the first time, and they would have. I would have think. I think they're very funny. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a weird one though. It's a funny, funny yeah. film to try and get your head around. Is it a comedy? Is it a drama? It's a comedy, drama, fantasy. Is what IMDb says. You go, yeah, okay. It's a really yeah. weird mix. That's that's a that's a fair way of describing it, I guess. And I'm just looking at the runtime of an hour thirty-five. I think that's I I certainly I I I think I enjoy this movie overall more than you do. Not saying that you don't enjoy it, but I think that I it just kind of vibes with me more. And I feel like that was pretty pretty quick. Just ninety-five minutes. 
It's certainly, I, I, I will pay this. A lot of filmmakers, and I, you've heard me, I've gone on about this ad nauseum. Mm. Again, filmmakers today, they don't know when to stop. Mm. And, and they don't have anyone telling them to stop. Uh, and they, let, a film like this, maybe this runs an hour and 15 minutes today, these days, right? And yeah. that extra 15 minutes it just makes it way too long. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think a good comedy, get in, get out, you know, make people laugh. Um, yeah. If you can. Uh, it's it was a fine and maybe also I'm a little more critical of it because I have seen it a number of times and you know the the charm of those gags don't have the same effect on me as they did the first time I saw it. Yeah. Well, now weary as curmudgeonly as ever. Thank you very mm. much. Now tell me, Travis. You told me before the show when I asked, "Do you know what you're going to do?" And you said, "Get a picture of Steve Martin." And then you gave the little hint of. 80s. It's not 80s. I said it's going to be difficult. Um, So uh, I am going to follow our friend, Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Steve Martin here. I did, I was very tempted while you were talking there. I have managed to locate and identify a link between LA Story and Cable Guy, but we are not going to go there. Um, I did ask, I asked for suggestions from friends of mine Mm -hmm. about which film to go with, and there were two contenders. One okay. of the contenders was Sex and the City, the movie. No, don't do that to me, you motherfucker. <laughs> I would have been doing it to myself. <laughs> we are not. It was very, very, very tempting. Because um, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that film. But we are not going to be watching Sex and the City. We are going to be watching it. We're going way left field here. We're going to be watching from 1997, the David Mamet drama Thriller, The Spanish Prisoner, starring Steve Martin. Oh, okay. I have never heard of this film before. I did some Neither research. Neither have I. It has a 7.2 on IMDb and a Metacritic score of 70. An employee of a corporation with this lucrative secret process is tempted to betray it, but there's more to it than that. It is written and directed by the great David Mamet, um, well-known screenplay and screenwriter, sorry, uh, playwright and screenwriter, Mm-hmm. Uh, probably best known for writing, um, I think it was um, uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, if, and I think uh, if you have a look, you probably had it found now. I think David Mamet's an exit for you. You can find lots of things he's been involved in. And while there are no other big stars in the film, other than um, other than um, Steve, uh, there's a Felicity Huffman who's done a fair bit of stuff, I think, around the world. Around as well London. as Time in Prison. <laughs> she has. She was she part of that um, admission scandal, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's also some fairly well-known character actors in this film who've been. Oh, uh, Ricky Jay. Who've been in you, Ricky Jay? You won't know his name. You look at his face. You go, oh, I've seen him in hundreds yeah. of different things. Yeah. He's, he's done lots and lots of different stuff. So I think you'll be able to find your way. And this will not be. Uh, death machine level of uh, or yeah, exit, you know, Clark Gregg. We could even go to Marvel with Clark Gregg, goodness me. Um, but this film, I have managed to locate a special wearing uh, special access to the film. Um, uh, for special us. privileges, of course, special privilege we access. Are, we are high profile, <laughs> high profile, and mm-hmm. uh, for some reason, it is, it is, you've never heard of it, I've never heard of no. it, no one's ever heard of it. It's not available to stream in Australia, so we've had to arrange. Special access. There we go. We're, I didn't even buy it in Australia. No, I don't think. So. Ooh, I've seen it that too many times to make it a movie to watch. But oh, he did write Wag the Dog. 
I love Wag the Dog. That's I think so read it on the show before. I, I feel like coming. we've done done it before, but oh, I may just have to go and rewatch that anyway because that's it's so such a good. great film. Yeah, great film. if you haven't seen it, and then we'll be oh. right back around to Woody Harrelson again. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I was also thinking, did we follow Sarah Jessica Parker before? I think we might have followed her in or out of Ed Wood at some point in time. So, um, we really, really should have been writing these down, ladies and gentlemen. I have been. Look, I have notes. I know we're doing them now, but we didn't do it from the start. <laughs> oh, no. I, uh, can, I can actually give you a full list of all brilliant. of them. Look at that. There's a whole page of writing there. That's actually really – I'm glad you did because we're going to suggest one of our listeners do it because I can't be asked. <laughs> Although some, um, of, some of my notes are like episode 76, Highlander Poo. <laughs> Touche. Uh, I mean, that really, you know, says it all. That's what it should have been called. Um, but uh, so that's next week, the Spanish prisoner. I, yeah. and I will be uh, around. We have our special access. If you have a, a copy at home on VHS, potentially, mm. um, you know, feel watch free along. to watch along and give us your thoughts. If you've seen it and yeah. you've got something to say about it, um, do feel free to chip in and let us know uh, what to expect. No spoilers, though. Um, now, but before we move on to our next segment, mm. I don't know what you think, but I think it might be time to give our adoring masses and um, apologies for people who are listening to the podcast version mm. it may not be quite as much fun mm. so it's an excellent reason to just jump on board and watch the live yeah. stream go um, to twitch.tv slash the fried brain ladies and gentlemen watch you can jump into the comments you can actually interact with us we are live so we do talk to you and if you can't do it live you can always go back and watch them you know they're recorded they're there for posterity so you exactly. don't have to if you don't go in, I can't. What I can't. If you're a Russian bot somewhere and you can't stay up till two thirty in the morning because you, yeah, you're you're busy hacking um, election, voting machines in Florida or something, yeah, you can always come back and watch this later. And we make excellent um, uh, vote machine hacking uh, accompaniment. You know, just have mm -hmm. something in the background mm -hmm. while you're it's, hacking it's, the U.S. It's election. Really, you know, if you're gonna bring down democracy, we are. The guys, to just you listen to, to in the background. Exactly. If you when society collapses, you think of us. <laughs> we uh, will be the background noise. <laughs> um, so I don't know if you can do this, or do I have to do the thing? I'm going to do. We are going to, and you can do some things over there. Yeah. I mm. think um, to put this on the big screen because we are going to have a word from our sponsors. Yes. Um, and our sponsors this week, yes, I know what you're thinking. We have sponsors. Well, I call them sponsors. Um, where our sponsors are the evening television from Channel 9, April 11th, 1988. So enjoy, ladies and gentlemen.
we are back. There was no audio, so I just did uh, audio commentary on those ones. <laughs> oh, there you go. Um, uh, maybe next time, we, this is the first time we've tried it. Next time this we, is the first time we're doing it. We'll try it. We will, we will try it with like maybe I'll put my lid, not yeah. mute me, and I can actually have the audio come through. So thank you, everyone who stuck around and listened to those uh, words from our sponsors. Um, they, uh, it was kind of like uh, Cinema Nova does adverts. <laughs> like, you know, um, I say Challenge Bank and Copyright. Um, mm -hmm. And I did like there was actually a promo for Sudden Impact in there as well. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Clint Eastwood film. I appreciated that. And it definitely made me appreciate high-definition TV. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, well. Oh, it, yeah, it this, this is 4 a.m. eyes. <laughs> Didn't, it didn't seem that bad at the time. <laughs> no, it didn't. We it, hindsight is twenty twenty. Unfortunately, television wasn't. Now, where are we going to go to next? Do you want to talk about Judas and the Black Messiah, or shall I talk about uh, the Woman in the Window? Yes, I can talk about Judas and the Black Messiah. I think this will talk be a fairly briefish um, uh, commentary in the film for mm. me because. Um, well, I mean, as, as the title sort of, you know, um, indicates, this is a, uh, Rom -com. A, a fun, rollicking family biblical film um, mm -hmm. about Judas's adventure with his uh, pet dragon, uh, Messiah. Uh, oh, my God, I actually want to watch that movie. <laughs> um, it's just like the Flight of Dragons, but less anti-Semitic. Um, <laughs> that would be a really weird thing if, it, if this was um, oh, okay, Semitic. I'm going to go... Go straight to hell for that one. <laughs> Judas and the Black Messiah from 2021 offered a plea deal by the FBI. William O'Neill infiltrates the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party to gather intelligence on Chairman Fred Hampton. Uh, this film won uh, a couple of Academy Awards recently for what, it, what matters. I know a lot of people are doing their best these days to downplay the value of Oscars, but I'm telling it to Daniel Kaluuya who won for uh, Best Supporting Actor, who I think is arguably one of the biggest rising stars in, in, in filmmaking today. I mean, um, he's he done been, a lot of great work. Yeah, he has been a consistent, reliable talent since his emergence, really. And, um, you know, I am really excited to see where he goes next. And I'm looking forward to Judas and the Black Messiah. I've... This, this looks interesting. So tell me, tell me, tell me. Tell and me. I mean, I feel the good thing about thing about Daniel Kaluuya for me is he. The first time I ever saw him in anything was in Black Mirror, Fifteen Million Merits. Mm. Uh, and I feel a sense of investment in his career now. In it, he's like I feel like he's one of ours, one of our Black Mirror alumni who's gone on <laughs> to make it, and so many have now. Like um, yeah, uh, Daniel Kaluuya, you may be yeah. getting a call from Travis the Talent asking for royalties later on. I mean, pumping your tires. Where do you want to listen to me? But it also won the best, <laughs> best achievement in music, written for motion. But it won best original song as well for its Oscar. Um, this uh, for those who aren't familiar, the, uh, hopefully everybody knows who the Black Panther Party was. If you are completely unfamiliar with uh, U.S. history, mm -hmm. um, our friends the Russian bots might want to study up a little bit because it could help in rigging future elections. Um, but basically the Black Panther Party were a sort of a militant political group that arose in the United States in the 60s uh, amongst, you know, mainly uh, obviously the African-American community as sort of a, a a political resistance movement to the 
you know, racism, but they continue to endure mm. today, even through to today. Um, yeah. And there, I guess, what made them a little bit different to what had come before in terms of the um, the, the Martin Luther Kings of the world, who's, you know, was, who's, you know, um, who's the sort of, you know, religious-based non-violence, you know, uh, approaches to to changes to civil rights. These guys had no problem with violence. These guys had mm. no problems with carrying guns. And their philosophy was more based in things like Marxism or socialism than, you know, Christianity, like like mm. the, sort of the other probably better known um, sectors of the civil rights community were. Mm. Fred Hampton was a young and uh, highly charismatic and respected chairman of the Illinois uh, chapter of the Black Panther Party. And it is documented fact that the uh, FBI saw them as a significant threat to the United States, being they were generally kind of leftists, which meant they were commies, and mm -hmm. also they were black, which meant, you know, black people bad, race, uh, you know, the uh, overwhelming racism that continued at the time. Yeah. So they were targeted and, mm. um, generally speaking, murdered. So spoiler alert there. But um, this film is, uh, as it sort of indicates here, think of a film like The Departed. It's a very similar kind of style of film here where we okay. had Leo DiCaprio, who was a policeman pretending to be a criminal to catch mm. a policeman. Um, where we had Mark Warburg, who was a policeman, who was actually a criminal. Um, no, you're thinking of Matt Damon. Mark Matt Wahlberg Damon. was Mike, Mark Wahlberg was the cop who was just an arsehole cop, um, but yes. still was was a cop. I stand corrected. <laughs> Been a while since I've seen it. Um, but, um, it, um, that that style of sort of story here. So yeah. We, uh, yeah. Or Gangs of New York was another one mm. who came came to mind here. Where was it? Leo DiCaprio again in that film was like he was planning to kill Bill the Butcher because Bill the Butcher killed his dad. Yeah. But he, but he did that by infiltrating Bill the Butcher's inner sanctum and then mm. becoming his most trusted advisor and yeah, then then that almost father fatherly relationship between the two of them spoilers if you haven't seen gangs of new york mm. um but that's in a way that's maybe uh, maybe a more accurate sort of um uh, comparison here um so we have the character of um uh, bill o'neill who is a small-time crook who is recruited by the fbi to infiltrate the black panthers and report back intelligence particularly on fred hampton's activities to mm. the fbi in an, you know in an effort to undermine him and you know, potentially you know, uh, have him arrested and, and such and have him removed from power. Mm. The um, FBI is played really, really well. The, the main FBI uh, detective who or agent who who has contact with Bill O'Neill is played by Jesse Plemons, um, better known by some as yep. Meth Damon. Um, <laughs> Another um, uh, Black Mirror Man. For me, though, he's got, he always goes back to, to Breaking Bad for me, for Jesse Plemons. Okay. Um, but he is, you're right, he was, of course, in the USS Callister again. Um, so many great actors turn up on that show. Fanboy um, hat on, please, Travis. <laughs> I fucking love that show, and he was great in that episode. But he is, um, he just, just gets off on playing assholes. Like, he's <laughs> very good at playing twisted he fucks. He just basically plays strictly assholes and. Mm. Like he played a Nazi in Breaking Bad. He was like a, uh, a, a pervert, you know, freaking rapist 
almost on a freaking evil facet in uh, in Black Mirror. Yeah. Um, he played a very weird sort of ex-boyfriend, and I'm thinking of ending things. It was, yeah. He. I don't he, know if I would be able to actually take him seriously in a kind of hero role. Maybe it's partly the fact that he does just look so much like a kind of universe B Matt Damon clone. Yeah. And it's like, oh no, he's clearly, you know, he he just shaved off the evil moustache to, to blend in and disappear. Maybe it's that, but I don't know. I don't know. He's gonna be in the Jungle Cruise movie with The Rock, uh and Emily Blunt. He's gonna be that bad guy. Come on. I hope he's not the bad guy. Subvert our expectations. This one, I want my expectations subverted. Um, <laughs> I think I talked about it, right? He'd be the big period movie with Mads Mickelson and stuff, mm. and like, and Christoph Waltz, and be like, you know, the bad guys. Um, who turn out to be like Suicide Squad, but good. Um, but anyway, so he plays <laughs> he plays the, the role of a, of a the FBI character in a really really great way, in the sense that he does come across as a pretty ruthless uh guy who's not above you know doing bending the law and doing some pretty fucked up things to get bill to do what he wants at mm. the same time though uh we do kind of we get to see him taking orders or we see the character of j edgar hoover here played by martin sheen um where you can sort of see that shit roll downhill onto mm. jesse Plemons to to push back on the on the black panthers and there's a wonderful scene between uh, Roy and Jay, where he meets Jay Hoover, and you, you can see that pressure being applied to him directly in a pretty fucked up way by Hoover himself. Mm. Um, and you, so that adds an extra layer of complexity to that character, which is, you know, in, in a lesser film would have just been, you know, the evil, um, you know, the, the evil puppet master pulling the strings. But yeah. we, we see here this is somebody who's, yeah, he's got some layers. He's got other things going on in his life. It's not just... He's doing this because he's evil. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the film is really about the relationship between Fred and Bill. Bill infiltrates the Illinois um, like Panthers. And a little bit like I was sort of saying with Gangs of New York, he very he becomes the head of security for that chapter. And you're like, it's kind of hilarious. Like the, they, they appoint a, a rat to the head of security. Uh, and he's being pushed and pulled in each direction, which is a little bit where I was thinking of Leo DiCaprio's character there mm-hmm. from Departed in the sense that He's got the FBI on his back going, no, get us this information, do this, do this, do this to Fred. The same time as he actually, you can see him start to be won over to Fred's perspective and kind of love Fred in a way um, and being pulled in the direction of, I want to do these things because I believe in the ideals of what this party wants to do and to achieve at the same time as my survival and freedom rely on doing the opposite, which is he's being pushed and pulled from both directions. And he, um, he, Bill O'Neill is played by Lakeith Stanfield, um, and he's fantastic in this. I think he might have been nominated for uh, an acting Oscar as well this year, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, that's where I know him from. Yeah, he's he knives out. Knives out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's also a Short Term Twelve, which is a fucking great movie, by the way. Um, okay. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it. Um, uh, he gets around. He's he's fantastic mm. in this, and again, you really feel for that character and Daniel Kaluuya in a way. Um, he's got the flashier role because he plays the charismatic, you know, mm. bombastic uh, leader of a group where Bill has this uh, role of being sort of put upon by everybody and being, you know, mm. pushed and pulled and being a smaller character in a lot of a smaller man. Like he wasn't a great man by any stretch of imagination. Um, uh, but he still feels 
he still he really occupies that role beautifully. And then okay. that 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 trilogy along with Jesse Plemons. There is a lot of other you know characters who flip it in and out and stuff mm. happens. Obviously, Martin Sheen's quite good as um as Jay Edgar Hoover with a lot of makeup on. You go, oh, it's Martin Sheen with makeup. Um, but I can't help but feel like when when you when I look at Martin Sheen. <sighs> If, if he was playing another president, it's like, okay, this is like the bad, like the bad universe of the West Wing or something like that. Is, did it feel like that watching him? Because he's no, so iconic in the West Wing. He's not playing anything like a uh, President um, Bartlett type character. Mm. Um, he, well, like, like an evil, because... He's not, he's not in it enough. And plus, he's okay. a real character. Yeah. And I know I know a little bit about the real Hoover and mm. you sort of think in that go, Hoover was a cross dresser. Maybe we should have had a scene with um oh, yeah. um Sheen, you know, cross dressing would have been interesting. Oh, but it's also the fact that I know that Martin Sheen will basically do I think he's a lefty. I think he's a bit of a mm. an American lefty, he's a liberal. And of course yeah. he played famously played a very liberal president on the West Wing. Oh, yeah. But he'll do anything for money. Like he's popped up and done some pretty <laughs> fucked up like um he's done like documentaries and stuff, like really stupid documentaries that like, you know, China is taking over the world and Americans run and hide in the hills. Um it seemed to go <laughs> very much against what I think his politics are. Um and I think it's just they, they go out and hire him because he's got that a little bit of a presidentially field in because he played the president for um a long time. For a lot for a long time, so um, you're kind of like, ah, okay, you. I mean, I know, yes, okay, look, he's actor, actors do things mm. for money, but like you, when you're as famous as him, yeah, hopefully, you've got enough money behind you now and cachet to go, hey, do you want to do a voiceover in my wacky, stupid documentary about nonsense? And you go, <laughs> uh, you know what, thanks, mate, but I think I'll pass, you know. Like, um, I, I don't well, know. Maybe it's I, just at the point in his career, so like, sure, I need something to do because retirement's a terrible idea. Pretty, yeah, like, yeah, well, there was, there was nothing else this week, so I said I'd do the wacky, you know, conspiracy and, you theory. Know, he, of course, he did play Uncle Ben in uh, Amazing Spider-Man, so he died. So there was no kind of coming back from that, unfortunately. Back. I was gonna say how many people have died in the Marvel universe and still come back? That's not that's not a that's not a thing. So I didn't I didn't really connect him to his presidential character. I really did try and see him very much as okay. as Hoover. Um this film is directed by Shaka King who I'm not overly familiar with outside of this film. I don't think he's done mm. very much. He did some episodes of Shrill which is a TV show which you can catch here on SBS On Demand. I very much like Shrill, so I would recommend checking that out if you uh, if you see this and you like this. Um, but it's um, it's it's a it's a really nice little film in the sense it's got a very accessible way. It's kind of a Trojan horse of a film, which I think is what mm. the director liked about it. Is I think he, he liked the idea of telling a really conventional story or one we're familiar with, like the idea of, you know, the infiltrator falling in love with a person who's been chosen mm. to infiltrate. We've seen that. I gave a couple of examples. Mm. It's been done. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that's an entree. It's a way into this story. And through this story, you are hoping, I think, you will learn a little bit more about Fred Hampton and what happened to him, mm. what he believed in, and what happened to the Black Panther Party at the time or all the leaders of a party at the time and – Sharky King, as I would suggest, a fairly poor opinion of the uh, police of the day. Um, and I think perhaps he's probably got, would say, 
has very much changed in the ensuing 50 years, 60 years, probably not. Um, you know, uh, mm. breaking into black people's houses and shooting them while we're asleep still happens quite regularly. Um, so there's, 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 you know, have we learned nothing? I think that might be an angle that the, the director might be getting you to think about. Okay. So um, where does this sit on a scale with something like Black Klansman, for example? Because that is, again, a bit of a Trojan horse of a kind of a message movie, but done very much um, in, in a different kind of style, because I loved that one. Um, and obviously it's a very different kind of vibe. This is almost like the anti version of the KKK in some, some weird twisted way. In a, in a way, I guess, um, that, that's a, that one's obviously played for laughs. I mean, mm. and it is really done by Spike Lee cause it's a mm. funny movie too. Yeah. And, uh, how good was Adam Driver in that film? Um, it's so good, but uh, it's in a way, I guess it could be it could be seen as, as the same thing in the sense that you're using this. I suggest it's a less broad message mm. than, than Black Clans. I mean, in a way, it's interesting. Like, I feel like maybe they do suffer from the same thing. Like, you saw a film called Judas and the Black Messiah. If you mm. roll up to the cinemas, like if you could roll up to a cinema anywhere but here, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, if you could roll up to a multiplex somewhere in a big city in the United States, for example, where you know they want to sell most of their tickets or something like this, mm. um, and this was playing. It's not the kind of title that's going to go, you know, like Fast and the Furious, however. You know, Fast and the Furious Black Panthers. I mean, um, <laughs> don't give them ideas. They've already threatened to go to space. The um, same as Black Klansman. It sounds political, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe it's just the word black. Does the word black in the, in the title like just make it sound political? But. Um, I feel Ooh, like very hidden even... conspiracy as to why Black Widow hasn't actually been released yet. Oh, Black Panther. <gasps> um, but they, you know, if you if you sat down someone and you watch both of the films, I think they'd probably find Kate Black Clansman to be a more enjoyable film on the surface, being that it's it's it is all the way through a comedy, a cop drama it's more comedy. Yeah. Um, it's probably a more palatable film in a sense where this is telling a more complicated story. If you think of a film again, like gangs in new york it's not mm. scorsese's most accessible film no um it's a it's a fairly it's a bit of a tricky story to get behind i mean it's not that hard but it's mm. certainly easier than you know if we just say we tell a biopic about some guy you've never heard of who was alive in the 60s um it's a it's a better it's an easier way of accessing your story of someone like mm. fred hampton but i don't know that it's as accessible as black clans but but i think i don't i still it is a not an easy watch i will pay that it is a difficult watch. It gets, especially towards the end, when things get start to go to shit and things really start to wrap up with uh, or get um, get serious between the Black Panthers and the police. It is. Mm. It doesn't pull. This film does not pull any punches. Mm. Uh, if you are upset by by extra, you know, a lot of violence and you know, mm. sort of fairly callous violence, mm. you might find parts of this film um, upsetting. The person I watched this film with the other night actually had a very visceral, physical reaction to some of the violence that happened towards the end of the film, and it wasn't Patria. Um, okay. So, um, <laughs> he was our normal, our normal visceral, physical reactor yeah. uh, on the on the show. That's her job. Um, hmm. But it's it's a it's a in a way that way it's going to be more difficult to get through than Black Klansman. But I think in no way in, in many ways it's every bit as important as. Black Klansman, even even mm. 
if people, even in Australia, right? Like, I mean, like, this mm. is obviously an American story, but but you know, we don't treat um, our Indigenous people any better than they treat yeah. African Americans there. So, uh, I think it's important for us even here to see these stories as well. And I would so strongly is, recommend it. Who is the kind of like sympathetic element to here? Because you've with the way that you've talked about their show, you talked about the. Um, the more militant style of the Black Panthers, which when you kind of use those descriptors, obviously you generally don't think of them as the kind of good the, 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 the good guys. And But the way that you've talked about the FBI, particularly Jesse Plemons and all of that, you've not painted them in a good light either. So where is, like, is, is the character of Bill O'Neill the... The, the 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 one character to really hang the audience on and you are on his journey i think it's quite skillfully done in a sense of um of bill o'neill's character is reasonably sympathetic because we can like i said we can see him being pushed and pulled in every which way mm. despite the fact we know he's doing something really unethical right like it's mm. kind of a dick move at the start of a film he's a car thief yeah. um and you know he's he's betraying someone who who's he's become his friend so he's yeah. not doing it. He's doing a particularly dishonorable thing, but somehow I still feel like you walk away with some empathy for the situation that Bill found himself in, in the sense that well, he didn't actually volunteer to do this. He was basically browbeaten or forced into to doing volunteer. it. <laughs> it was a force to volunteer to do this. So it was this or go to jail. Mm. And, you know, so in that way, he's he is quite an empathetic character, despite the fact he's, he's betraying a friend. Um, I think the film, and this could be a controversial call depending on which side of the um, the political spectrum you fall, but the mm. Black Panthers, as I said, didn't, I may have made them sound like they were not so pleasant, mm. um, but they are portrayed in a fairly sympathetic light here. Okay. Um, and yes, they did carry guns and they were not above shooting back at the police, but note mm. that I said shoot back. Mm. Uh, now it's not to say that they. Ne I, I'm no new means. Am I putting my hand up? Because I'm some sort of expert on the history of Black Panthers to say that they didn't go out and you know commit mm. you know horrible crimes. Maybe they did, but um, you know they they were as much as they were a political militant movement. They were also a social movement. So they were yeah. famous for things like uh, neighborhood breakfast programs, providing free education and housing and legal help and assisting the community. Mm. Um, so in some ways, I mean, it's a really horrible comparison, but something like what Hamas does in the Middle East, and obviously they've got their problems and I'm not endorsing fucking Hamas, but <laughs> they, they, they do do the same things they believe in the parts, in places like Lebanon um, mm. and, and you know, the, the occupied territories where they actually, in, you know, I guess okay. they try and recruit people to join their movement by basically looking after the community in a way that the government doesn't or can't or won't. Mm. Um, yeah. I don't know if the IRA did similar things in, in, in their districts as well, but the Black Panther yeah. Party were as much as of a community, they did endeavour at least to be a community movement yeah. or a social movement as much as they were also a political in some ways military. Because they, yeah, and, it's, and you think about it, right? Like you think about the United States, right? Like the other side have got guns. You have people yeah. who are coming to kick your door down. They got guns and they ain't afraid about using them first and asking questions later. So yeah. I've always felt like I could, well, you know, I, I could I could see my way to actually how that they came around to that way of thinking that, you know, like yeah, oh, you, the, could, the you can argue have, it. The police have got guns. The, what, the KKK have got weapons. Why should, mm -hmm. you know, we not have weapons to defend ourselves? Um, yeah. We're getting way more 
political than I intended here. I'm going to get hate mail <laughs> from from somebody. I'm sure of it. But but I again, I'm not an expert in the Black Panthers, and I don't know everything about them. But this film, at least, it does not portray them as murderous thugs. Okay. So it's oh. they are not unsympathetic in themselves. And Fred, mm. just because he's so charismatic, is is mm. very much a sympathetic character who we come along with on the ride as well. Okay. Cool. Uh, Great film, worth watching for Daniel Kalia and Lakeith Stanfield alone. Hmm. You've got I've been some very stuff to talk about. Yes, uh, I have. So um, I decided to get um, myself into Netflix's purchased movie of The Woman in the Window. Uh, this movie was one of the last, I think it was actually the last fox movie 20th century fox movie to be branded as 20th century fox before the the death of that brand because of the the merger with disney um and it got caught up in um the covid pandemic delay 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 sell it to streaming service scenario this is the latest movie by joe wright who is something of a popular director in Hollywood. He has had a variety of successes. He's uh, directed a little bit of Black Mirror for you, Travis. He has also done travesties such as Pan, but he uh, did um, a couple of years ago, there was a, a big Oscar contender for The Darkest Hour that he did. He did one of my favorite movies of the recent years, which was Hannah. Um, he did Atonement, which got a lot of attention, and his breakout movie was Pride and Prejudice. So he has got a lot of kind of cachet in Hollywood. He's got a bit of carte blanche, really, to do kind of whatever he wants at this point, because he's got a lot of that Oscar gold kind of hanging around his neck. So when he does something like The Woman in the Window, which is based on a novel, which I have not read, but the trailer and the way that this movie presents itself, it is it feels entirely like a bad ripoff of Rear Window. And... I was going to say, the, the, the synopsis here, an agoraphobic woman living mm. alone in New York begins spying on her new neighbours only to witness a disturbing act of violence. I've seen that movie before. Yes, you have. And it was called Rear Window. Yes, and we saw an updated version of that with uh, the one that Shia LaBeouf was in. Yeah, Disturbia. And this movie, like, Joe Wright, personally, I don't feel like he's really showcased himself as a as a personality behind the camera. He knows how to work with actors and he knows how to build a very successful movie. He has got this, uh, the credentials and the, the Oscars success to kind of back that up. Um, but this movie is utterly neutered from any sense of directorial artistic presentation style except for the last two minutes where there's just a, a shot and it's just Amy Adams who is the main actor and pretty much on screen all the time delivers a fantastic performance as well I will point out she has really proven herself to be an actress who really invests in roles and brings out the best in them but there's just the scene of her just leaving this apartment block 
spoilers, I guess. And it's just this really cool tracking shot that just goes down vertically. And it just follows her going down the stairs, kind of almost revisiting locations of the scenes that all take place in this apartment building. And it's the one bit that goes, well, where the fuck was all of that character before? That's, that's cool. That, that hooks me into a little bit more of the rear window kind of vibe that that's one of my favorite movies of all time. And the rest of it is so bland and neutered, but then it's bizarrely bolstered by some great actor work. This has got a pretty good cast in it. I mean, as I've said already, Amy Adams, Gary Oldman, it's got Anthony Mackie's voice and a brief actual acting moment. Um, a young new talent that was actually quite good in a rather stereotypical role. Uh, his name's Fred Hetchinger. Um, he's not been in anything that I've seen before, but um, he's started getting in a few things. Like there's the Underground Railroad, which is something that I'll be watching on Prime Video soon. Um, apparently that's that's quite a thing. He's in News of the World. Um, but... Beyond that, he's not really been in anything. And despite being a somewhat cliched, stereotypical role, he's actually quite good. It's got an extended cameo by Julianne Moore. It's got Wyatt Russell, who has now become a name because of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, and uh, Brian Ty uh, Tyree Henry, who um, he was also in something. Widows, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Widows and Godzilla versus Kong. I knew that he was in something I'd seen in cinema recently. And Joker. So he is, he, and he was actually really good, really underplayed, really kind of simply delivered. I really enjoyed his work in this. So there's a lot of really good quality character work and actor work on display here. But the script, the idea, and the direction is so dull when they could have it would have felt even better. It just would have felt more interesting if they had just gone, okay, let's just remake Rear Window. Um, the, the kind of journey that Amy Adams' character goes on is kind of formulaic, but the kind of twist revelation comes, it feels like it comes really fucking soon, but at the same time, you kind of like I kept on stopping the film and looking and seeing how far it had gone, which is never right. a good sign. Never a good sign. It's an hour and forty minutes, and it you feel those hour and forty minutes, which I'm not against. In this movie, the the story that it tries to tell and the way that Amy Adams' character's internal journey is, that time should feel long. It should feel long. It feels appropriate, but. It's not entertaining. It's not engaging long. There are different different versions of long, mm. right? There's, there's yeah. long, like, if you think about the original rear window, you know, moments in that where, like, the scene where, I'm sorry, spoilers, if you haven't seen the fucking 70-year-old <laughs> film before, you know, <laughs> bite me. Um, like the scene where Jimmy Stewart uh, is watching Grace Kelly in the mm -hmm. apartment and Raymond Burr is coming up the stairs and, oh, you, know, you know, the, ten so the, the tension in that scene is palpable. I mean, that's an hour 52 minutes, that. 
Yeah, um, but it's, so it's, it's still it's still that, every, that well. Every second of that scene, when you know Grace Kelly's in the room and then the guy, the killer's coming up the stairs, you're like, it's it takes an hour, right? Because it's so tense, but it's tense. Yeah, it's long because it's tense, and you're a hundred percent invested in what's going yes. on on the screen. And then there's a film like um, or a show like uh, Jupiter's Legacy or whatever it was we were talking about last week. Where yeah. You're like, Oh, how oh, is this episode still going? Yeah, yeah. And you get that that problem is so painfully apparent in The Woman in the Window, which is a real shame because Amy Adams does, is a tour de force performance for her. I really think she has been on one hell of a tear in recent years. Really, really. She's always been someone that I've really enjoyed watching um, even from her early work in fucking Smallville. But I thought she was fantastic in Arrival. She's even really charming and endearing in Enchanted. Um, American Hustle, she was one of the few things that was actually mildly enjoyable about that fiasco. <laughs> um, and I, I've always thought that she was actually quite a good Lois Lane because she didn't need no man to fucking save her. She was just her own independent woman that was actually good at her job and was shown to be an investigative reporter. How I unique for of, Lois Lane. I'm less of a fan of Amy Adams because while she does what she does well, she mm. doesn't do anything else. That's true. That's true. She, she, does, Mary, she has a type. She's the Leo DiCaprio of actresses. Um, yep. In the sense that Leo very rarely, at least, strays outside the straight and narrow of what Leo does well, which is fine. Yeah. He makes a shit ton of money doing it. Um, yeah. And Amy, people enjoy. She's she's won awards. Mm. I don't know. I'd never found her. I look at a film and go, "Oh, good, Amy Adams is in it." I'm like, "Oh, okay. I think I know exactly what you're going to do." No, that's that's a perfect perfect simile. I think. I think I feel the same way about Leo. Um, yeah it's 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 in that realm so you know what you're going to get from her and gary oldman is i don't it's know gary, if he's, it yeah it's, it's fucking gary oldman right. um anthony mackie doesn't really get an opportunity to do much here because he is largely a voice on a phone except for one scene which they could have done a lot more with but they were trying to underplay it, but I think they undercut it too much and ended up being just like, okay, yep, moving on. All right, this, wow, this is the revelation. I kind of saw this coming from the beginning anyway. And I don't think this is my superpower coming in here. I feel like it's largely wearing its tricks on its sleeve. Um, and even Julianne Moore, who is a categorically top quality actress that has got a good sense of range she's playing a very stereotypical character here and it's like okay i you're doing a good job with what you've got but at the same time i'm not invested i don't care i know what's going to happen to you i know who you are let's just skip to the end and it's it's really this, this is the worst problem of this movie and it's all because of joe wright it feels like there's no fucking passion or energy or interest from him to actually try to deliver something that is either visually enticing because it's a very bleak boring uh, there's there's moments where it's kind of cool like i said this end shot where it just kind of visually comes down and it just follows her and it's almost like watching a 
a theatre performance and a stage and a, a true set. And it's it's just a cool way of looking at it. There's a moment where she's remembering something and then she just looks into a room and she sees kind of fragments of this memory in the room. And it's like, there's moments of good. Why aren't you putting that effort in throughout the whole fucking thing, please? Why have you just gone, I'm going to put 10% into this and it's just going to get me what I want? It's it's so frustrating because even uh, Wyatt Russell, who I think we were both very lukewarm on in Winter Soldier, he has got a bit more to play with here. And a, there's a little bit more of the genetic Kurt Russell DNA charm on display here, but it's so very quickly kicked to the curb to allow for a stereotype that you've seen a hundred thousand times. It's like, oh God, come on. Okay, so th this is the Amy Adams show and no one else is putting any fucking effort in here. Gary Oldman comes in for kind of cameo scenes throughout and it's like, okay, he's playing a, a stereotype here. <sighs> this is taking a long time to watch. I, I feel like this just reinforces um, my opinion that mm. uh, out, well, I think maybe it, maybe it's ours, but Netflix mm. has become the director video of the 21st century. Well, I mean, I would say yes, but this was one that they bought that was a 20th century Fox. And yes, Fox had a lot of problems going into the, the last death throes of the company's life before being consumed by the megalomaniacal conglomerate that is Disney. But they were one of the last real bastions, I feel, of the blockbuster cinema scape that was actually trying to do something that was slightly different. Like their, their tentpole movies were like Planet of the Apes, which was actually quite good and not just pure schlock or pure explosions. They were trying to tell something a little bit more intelligent. And with Fox and Fox Searchlight and all of that gone, it makes me very sad. And this should have been... I, I wish that it had been the last hurrah of Fox, but it's just not. It's such a death rattle of a movie. It's really sad. It's, it's sitting on a 40% meta score, and that's generous, honestly. That That is entirely based on the character performance and character effort more than anything else. It's a real point. Yeah. I guess I'll be giving it a wide berth. Yeah, it's, it's one that you wouldn't even want to put it on in the background because you'll kind of feel like, all right, that something happened, but I don't really know. I don't care. Let's just change over to Samurai Jack instead. That's more fun. <laughs> Let's watch some Rick and Morty reruns. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's such a shame because there's, there's talent here in every facet of it. But the source material is obviously not unique and they've done they've tr not tried to do anything unique or original with it beyond that either so it's like a dilution of a dilution and it's it's just sad yeah. there you go not oh, great well, not great not great at all i'm afraid now travis i'm gonna think i'm gonna tie yeah. a bow around a slightly shorter show yeah i've um, already put a name on it it's called get, get the boots in 
Letting the boots in on this one. So yeah. uh, I had a look at a new documentary series again on Netflix. The Sons of Sam, A Descent into Darkness. Uh, right. This is a documentary series. The Son of Sam case grew into a lifelong obsession for journalist Maury Terry, who became convinced that the murders were linked to a satanic cult. Okay. A satanic cult. I don't really remember that particular element of son of sam you mean your summer of sam this way yeah yeah if you want to learn about the son of sam watch the summer of sam mm. by spike lee starring adrian brody it's fucking great it's a great movie mm. do not watch this this is a giant pile of shit like okay. this is a seven a seven on imd a fucking seven who the hell are reading this shit honestly it's fucking terrible okay so i watched all of the first episode, or it's a four-part series, I watched probably half of the second episode before I said, no, sorry, I'm done. Um, episode one is passable, and that is mainly because it is very documentary-based in the sense, like, looking this up, it says it stars Paul Giamatti, and I'm like, I don't remember seeing Paul Giamatti in this. I mean, he must have popped up later on in the series um, when they had some reconstructions or something, because the first episode is very much documentary style introducing maury terry who is um i guess kind of the inspiration behind the series being a journalist um but it really does sort of step through the the timeline and the history of the son of sam killings okay about you know how they happened what the effect was on the populace mm. you know how they caught him etc and some of that was mildly interesting which i hadn't come across before in you know, I'm a bit of a true crime person, so I like some. I've seen some stuff, but I, I learned some stuff from the first episode. But I could already tell they were setting it up for this Maury Terry guy to be a character in the story. So, do you remember a while ago there was that series about the Golden oh, the State Patton Killer, Oswald? Patton Oswald's wife, yeah. and she inserted herself. Her story was, you know, a chunk of the show, and about yeah. her having cancer, which is obviously horrible, and her passing away, which is obviously mm. horrible, but it didn't fit that story. Yeah. But I felt like yeah. this one, I'm like, oh, he's going to be Patton Oswalt's wife in, in this story, right? Like, yeah. he's obviously dead because of the way we're talking about him. Yeah. And they're basically going to use him as a narrative element to drive the story forward with his research. Mm. Um, and this episode two is started to get absolutely ridiculous, full of sensationalist nonsense you know completely uh, baseless assumptions and uh you know uh, accusations and insinuations and that like oh well you know this person who lived next door and down the road from son of sam you know from david berkowitz the, the convicted uh killer uh who yeah. was the son of sam this guy down the road who looks a little it looks a really a lot like a sketch of somebody drew of one after one of the son of sam killings and you know um, and if you, if you, you do, uh, and it's like, this, I can't remember exactly what it was because I was getting angry. Um, it was like, if you rearrange your letters in this, this Son of Sam letter and then you run it under a filter and then, you know, you multiply it by the number of spanners in the Sitchrone tool set, you know, it, it kind of adds up to 666. <laughs> and it's like, obviously, devil worship, you know. Um, and, oh you know, it's, it's just, it's just, it's just drawing this incredibly long bow of like, well, if you look at it this way and you turn it upside down and flip it around a couple of times and, you know, it, yeah, you squint a bit, you can kind of, you can kind of looks a little bit like a pentagram. 
Um, and they started, <laughs> um, you know, and they're trying to sell it to us. Like this is, oh, it was Satan, Satan worshippers who did this. And it's, yeah, it was a Satan, this satanic cult. And like, they're trying to link. It sounded like I, I didn't watch it all. So, you know, you can mm -hmm. tell me I'm wrong if you just dropped it. They were trying to make a link between the Son of Sam and the Manson killings. Wow. Okay. And I'm like, and they were talking about them like there was some sort of connection between Manson and Berkowitz and then the whatever group they think the Son of Sam okay. killings are done by. And I'm like, this is fucking nonsense. Yeah. Nonsense. Um, now, I guess, you know, it reminds me of, um, <laughs> you know, about, about that Simpsons episode, you know, and by the truth, we mean lies, but they're entertaining lies. <laughs> and in the end, isn't that the real truth? The answer is no. Is no. <laughs> <laughs> That's what this show is. They're entertaining lies, um, you know, and like they aren't actually entertaining. Well, I mean, I, they might be entertaining. Maybe that's why it's got a seven, right? If you can shut your brain off and go, hmm, you maybe Charles Manson and David Berkowitz were in cahoots. Um, you know, if you're a fucking idiot who doesn't know anything about Manson or, or Berkowitz or you know how criminal these guys work, but, you know. Um, <laughs> They never forget like the other one when they cheated at Uno. Like He-Man and Skeletor. Um, uh, but, uh, you know. It's, it's like, like you have amazing gay fanfic about He-Man and Skeletor. I, I've seen the Stealth Lundgren film. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess if you're able to, I guess it's maybe one of my my weaknesses. It's like the Dell effect we talk about where, mm. you know, if something doesn't make scientific sense to my friend Dell, he's out. Um, but it's a little bit like this for me here where a show like this starts to not make sense and starts to throw, you know, like baseless accusations at the screen and mm. like you know, hoping some of it sticks and it's like, oh, because it's, you say, cool sounding things like Satanism, you know, um, big scary, you know, think of satanic cult. You're like, anyway, oh, you know, this is juicy. I'm going to keep watching and enjoy this. But I'm like, well, that doesn't make very much sense at all. Like, what? Well, it's a huge assumption in logic you just made. It's a giant leap um, to to think of it that way. It could mean, you know, like, and all of a sudden, because the show is not making sense to me anymore, mm. its assumptions don't make sense to me anymore. I'm kind of out. Like, I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah you've lost me now. Like, I mean, you might if you've got an interesting theory about a killer, that's mm. one thing, you know. But you, you've got to have something to back it up, other than the fact that you know you, it's a cool story if you add Satanism to it. Yeah. Um, and because it because it just completely made no sense, its accusations were completely ridiculous and quite obviously had zero merit, um, which is probably why they've never been pursued before. Um, I just, I'm sorry, I, I'm I'm not finding this entertaining anymore. I'm finding it infuriatingly stupid, and in a way, fucking disrespectful to the people this guy killed. Do you think that if this was taken as pure fantasy? and didn't try to show itself as a documentary, it would work better? Maybe, but you'd need to couch it in a very different format. So mm. maybe that's what this is trying to do. I don't know. But by selling it to me like it's a documentary in episode one mm. and then pivoting and trying to tell a fantasy story in episode two, that's yeah. not going to work. But if you wanted to set it in a universe where – you know, if you let you know, let's think of something like, something like the Nevers, for example. Mm. But you know, we have it set in the seventies, and you know, 
um, satanic serial killers are a thing, or the serial killers that were going around because there were a lot of them in the seventies and eighties. Yeah, they, they, like, they're all demons or something like that. So a little bit of like you know something like uh, Grim or one of those other fantasy shows yeah. with fairies and shit in them. Um, yeah, fairies and shit. There's a whole bunch of was that one with Orlando Bloom in it, Penny Dreadful or something? I don't no, know. No, that Penny Dreadful is fucking awesome, and I will not have a bad word said a bit again. What was it, that? What was the Orlando Bloom? That one, one was, um, that was something lane. Um, <laughs> this is so memorable. <laughs> it was so memorable, but it was like a set in a universe where like fantasy characters are, are like a real thing, right? Yeah, well, Carnival Lane, Carnival Road, Carnival Lane, yeah, Carnival, 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 Road. fucking, yeah, Carnival Road. Yeah, so you know, if you said it in a universe like that, where like serial killers were like demons, or you know, yeah, maybe it, it would it, in in a series like Constantine, for example, like that kind of would have made sense yeah. a little bit, you know, like that was more played for laughs. So I don't know, you would have quite got away with that, but like if we had a more serious Constantine, a little bit more like the Keanu Reeves film. Where you know serial killers have been sent by Satan to do stuff, and you know the our hero, the Maury Terry guy, the, the mm. journalist who apparently inspired it, is the one person who can see them, and he's you know almost the the John Constantine character who has to, or he has to work with a John Constantine character. Maybe yeah. that would have worked, but we are buddy really cop movie. <laughs> buddy cop movie, but they're facing <laughs> demons. Like, didn't they do that with Bright? Um, but, <laughs> Um, but maybe that would maybe that would work, but that would be just a, you know a completely it's different. A, a, in the end, it's a completely different product. Yeah, it's a different product, completely different product, other than the fact you're using a real life setting um, mm. to do it. And I don't think you could if it was fiction, because again, telling a fictional story around a guy who killed real people, yeah, that could be considered distasteful. Yeah, I I don't know how I would kind of feel about that. Like if. I mean, there were people out there who got stuck into Tarantino um, for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for his portrayal of the Manson family yeah. and stuff, and then having Charles Manson meet with um, uh, Sharon Tate, and they're like, "Oh, that's not okay." And you're like, well, "It's a fair enough, it's a fair enough perspective, I think, to take on it." Yeah. They they did meet. <laughs> no, they did not. Oh, they did not. Ah. Manson didn't actually kill Tarantino. His followers did. So it's not actually known whether, Man whether Charles Manson met Sharon Ted or not. Liability. Uh, so that scene was that scene was kind of invented, but I didn't have a problem with it. But some did, and I can, can see why yeah. they might have. Because, but even then, in something like that, is it's extrapolated uh, fantasy where it's like it's kind of twist twisting out some of the threads that have already been established as that, that's plausible. That's that's understandable. We just kind of go, oh, yeah, you 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 know who um, the the real reason that Trump didn't win is because of the lizard people. Yeah, this like, uh, <laughs> is kind of in that category a little bit. Like it yeah. just makes absolutely no sense. There's no, you know, there's no basis to any of its accusations. Oh. It's it's completely really ridiculous. And uh, you're right. It's an interesting observation, actually. If you're setting your film up as a documentary, my expectations change. Mm. My, my suspension of disbelief isn't there anymore. I have no suspension of disbelief because you're telling me this is real. This is a real story of a real thing that happened. If I'm watching 
you know, uh, Lord of the Rings. You, I will obviously. This is based on my, real events. <laughs> uh, have you been to New Zealand? No one's actually been to New Zealand. We don't know what goes on there. There could be hobbits. We don't know. Frankly, we don't care. Hey, if flat you, Earth has still confirmed that New Zealand is just an island just off of the UK. It's 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 New Zealand. <laughs> I I mean, you know, I don't have any interest about what goes on there. They play rugby, and that's enough. Um, <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's boiled down an entire country. New Zealand. We play rugby. They play rugby. <laughs> they play rugby. Um, and they, they claim to have invented the lamington, but they are wrong. Uh, <laughs> um, wait for my uh, new series of novels, The Lamington Wars, coming your way. It's going to be on uh, Netflix as a TV series. I've been picked up for an eight-season eight, eight, eight deal. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be good. Um, yep, Adam Sandler is down, down to produce. Um, <laughs> <it's>, uh... <laughs> with Melissa McCartney co-starring. <laughs> and we wait, just wait till season two. We get the Pavlova Wars. Uh, it's, it's going to get when, this time. It's I'm, personal. I'm, think, I'm thinking The Crown meets... Like the great British bake off. <laughs> yeah. And then like the third season will be like if the third season where everyone's completely lost interest and doesn't care anymore will be a reward over Russell Crowe. Be back. Like, nah. <laughs> you can have him. No, you can have him. Really? No, it's fine. It's fine. It's yours. I don't have you can, you can take him. We're not Let's even take making you back in the time machine to what started this deadly feud. He threw a telephone. So, actually, no, I've got, I got, it's, it's, it should, this one should be like Sam Neill versus Russell Crowe because they're the two people who are like Kiwi actors who always get told they're Australian. Yeah. Um, and the soundtrack's <laughs> going to be like Crowded House. Um, they, <laughs> see how interested we are in the Sons of Sam. We're just completely <laughs> spitballing new series. Um, Far more interesting idea. <laughs> Look, if you like, I've seen some people say how much they enjoyed it. Look, if you don't have a problem with like wild, crazy theories, um, you know, that's fine. You might enjoy it. I also happen to know a little bit about the concept of Satanism in the sense that, like, I've read some books, I've known some people who are kind of practicing, you know, it is an actual religion, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. It is a, yeah, yeah, practice religion by people. Um, and they it's do a lot not of good in America. If they may put up those those uh, goat statues in like state capitals because they can. Because yeah. uh, they're like, oh no, if you're going to have a statue of the Ten Commandments, we get to have a Satan statue, yeah. <laughs> and they've got to do it. Which I think is very, very um, I think it's very very funny. Um, but they aren't what they are portrayed to be in in the American media or lesser so the Australian media, where they you know yeah. go around sacrificing people. That's that's not. It's what, not nearly uh, as as sexy of an idea, though. It isn't. If you have a real thing, it's like they just happen to have this philosophy where, you know, you can do whatever you want as long as you're not hurting anybody, and so, everybody's and everybody yeah. consents to what's going on. Then you're cool. Um, so I'm very it much back to the Simpsons again. It's sort of like he mows your lawns. This is rowdy, ruddy peeper. It's sensationalism. Yeah. That's, it, that's it's exactly it is exactly that kind of thing, and it's like you get you say the word Satanism in like a oh, no, Satanists. Um, do you play Dungeons and Dragons? Dragons, yeah. But like, <laughs> see, if you play your records backwards, do people still do that with MP3s? And you know, got, um, you know, I know that people play podcasts at double speed. <laughs> I, they, they play this one at triple speed if they could. Yeah. Um, no, it, it, that's called the skip button, Travis. <laughs> 
or Joe Rogan podcast, in other words. Um, <laughs> Ooh, yeah, shades be thrown. <laughs> I'm starting a war with him. Yeah. Um, Aim for the top. Come on. <laughs> Uh, if only he spends ten percent of his followers our way, that'd be fine. Come here, insult us. We're happy with that. 100%. Um, uh, but this is challenging for me. I just it's mm. it's it's crap, and it's the worst kind of crap. It's 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 deeply disrespectful to the people who lost their lives, and oh, nice. it's disrespectful to you know. It, you couldn't make a documentary about this and go there a Christian cult mm. who are going around crucifying fucking people. Like I mean. It, you know that would be offensive to. They'll be very offended if you know, you know, you said that about Christians or Scientologists mm-hmm. or something. Um, yeah. you know, this other group of people, just because there aren't many of them and they're historically downtrodden, it's mm-hmm. okay to say that they go around murdering people. It's just crap. Forget well, about that's it. it. I mean, it's you know when you when you link something to Satan, like the arguably the archetype for evil villains. It's like, yep, there, there you go. It's like you think, okay, we've got a movie. We need a bad guy. Okay, it, well, it's there's no way that we could get the Nazis involved. Uh, Russians are very passe. Uh, could we possibly get, like, Chechnyans? Nah, nah. Uh, Satanism, uh, Satan worshippers. Those are your kind of four big bad guys. Or non-specific asian orientated person north koreans are pretty good for that because they don't yeah. go to the movies much yeah that's true yep and it's it's, um, it's, it's just it's lazy it's boring i, it's I think i've given this shit more time than it deserves it's really hey, you've been I, getting the boots in i i did i did a very good job of sticking to this should be a regular segment if actually if this was a regular segment it would just be pretty much everything i review um <laughs> Come on, Jim. determined uh, to just shed the the musical man <laughs> uh, that's a no uh, <laughs> um anyway so i think that ties a bow around this weekend yeah, I think that, under two hours for a change yeah for a change um i have watched all of love sex and robots volume two but travis has only watched the first two so we are holding off so that we can have a more shared conversation about that next week we are going to be talking about the spanish prisoner which i'm very interested in um i have got some thoughts on another netflix movie called love and monsters and I'm sure there'll be plenty of other things. I'm sure Travis I will, will have, have something fun. I have, will have some conversation around the other Netflix film, Oxygen. Oh, yes. Yeah, so the uh, French oh, film starring Melanie Laurent. Um, and I think... Classy uh, motherfucker. Um, because Army of the Dead opens on Friday in Australia on Ooh, Netflix. Yes. So I think I can expect that I'm very curious to see what that looks like. Mm, yes. And um, just the, the final thing, I did spot that uh denny villeneuve's june is going to be in theaters and not on streaming services so i'm looking forward to when that releases sometime just after do, my birthday I so is it going to be with mid-year uh i think it's like the end of june or beginning of okay. july so the Amer- north american summer then yeah yeah so um, i'm really looking forward to that i was okay. hoping to be able to catch that on the big screen because i think that's going to be a visual treat it yeah. is a fantastic book and there's a hell of a lot of talent. I suspect so. Denny, we we saw Blade Runner 2049, right? Like oh, the, Denny yeah. is a filmmaker who paints to the edges, right? He's mm-hmm. it, it, You're not doing yourself justice by watching one of his films on the small screen if yeah. you have an alternative. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining in on episode 113 of Armchair Producers. We talked about our chain movie of the week, L.A. Story. Travis picked The Spanish Prisoner for next week's. Talked about uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. We had some sponsors from the from the early 80s. <laughs> I talked about The Woman in the Window, and Travis got the boots in on The, uh, the Son of Sam. Thank you so much for joining us. Please remember that you can come come and join us live on twitch.tv slash thefrybrain, youtube.com slash armchairproducers, facebook.com slash georgeterran. You can follow us. You can join in. If you have any recommendations for movies and things like that, please let us know. We will happily get uh, take those on. Um, you can you can give us your Twitch Prime subscription, which is free if you have a Twitch Prime account, an Amazon Prime account. Um, you can... Donate to us if you really feel like paying us to shut up. You know, why not? Um, other than that, thank you so much. Thank you to the talent, Mr. Travis Croft. Um, you're lucky to have had me. Uh, yes, well, I know I know that it is a tight schedule, and I do appreciate it, and I'm racking up one hell of a bill with your services. It's in the mail. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. So that's why I'm in a moving house. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, good night.
Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. We are a weekly podcast every Wednesday at 8pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And if you'd like to follow along live, please go to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain, where you can actually also donate to us, as well as watching us live on youtube.com slash friedbrainproductions or facebook.com slash friedbrainproductions. Thank you, and see you next time. Bye-bye.